Ingram Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Knollcast. Uh, we'll do a little look back at the game that was uh, when it comes to Saturday's uh, uh, just rather significant uh, result that we all got to watch as a collective fan base. We'll try our best to uh, give you an idea as to what happened, uh, why maybe it crumbled as quickly as it did. Uh, by no means will we go into granular detail as to play-by-play breakdown of the game or anything else. Uh, we'll move into some broader, more macro conversation pretty quickly. But as as bizarre as it sounds, this is something that I'm looking forward to and think we might be able to have a, a good conversation and maybe slightly counter to some of the other narratives that are out there. So, But as always, thanks to our friends in New Iberia, Louisiana. Louisiana Hot Sauce is the product that is the title sponsor of the Nolcast. Been a fantastic partner to us and are instrumental in us being able to grow the podcast and bring it to you with the consistency with which we've uh, long desired. So with that, Bud, we'll uh, we'll jump into a little bit of a Clemson breakdown. Yeah, man, let's do this thing. Uh, very excited to get into this tonight. And uh, where do you want to start? Um, you you want to just do a little ranking stuff off the bat and let, let we, we could rank the worst losses uh, Florida State has had in the last 20 years. Uh, I think the cutoff should be 20 years because, A, in the like '90s, they really didn't have any terrible losses like that, and then before that, neither of us were really born uh, that we can actually remember. So, we'll just go with with what most of our listenership can remember, and that is losses in the last 20 years. Uh, I have I have pulled up four of them, four losses that that really stand out to me. If you want to add in a wild card, that's totally cool. Uh, but 2016 Louisville, 2018 Clemson, 2017 Boston College. And 2006 Wake, and after reading that off, uh, man, I am extremely impressed at our listenership numbers, man. Because we've grown this 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 show in the midst of this team having a, a crippling, brutal loss uh, in the first two months of the season, each of the last three years. I'm, I'm uh, wow. Thank you, listeners. You guys have uh, routinely had your heart ripped out and uh, seen a team that wasn't. Uh, wasn't necessarily ready to compete for four games or four quarters, rather. And, yeah, three three of the more disappointing losses over the last 20 years. You could, I'm sure you could get a, a wide variety of uh, answers for the fifth one, if you so desired. I would probably throw 2001 UNC in there for me because that game was just, uh, it was, you, you knew when you watched that game that it was over uh, and that it was time to go to uh, not necessarily go in a different direction, but the success that had been had was was not going to be found again uh, for quite a while. And that would be one that sticks out to me. But there is no game where perhaps you were humiliated in the manner uh, uh, as any that are anywhere approaching the other four that you have listed. So. Bud, why don't uh, why don't you jump off and and give give maybe your opinion as to if you put those in any particular order or, or what you would classify as maybe the worst of those uh, humiliating losses? Sure. So so to me, I, I have one that just stands out among all the others, and, and that's that's the 2016 Louisville game. Um, Florida State came into that game ranked number two in the nation, and look, I do believe that you and I both said this is not the number two team in the nation if we go back and, and, and dig that up in the show archives. And we were very worried about that game. Uh, but somehow Florida State was number two in the nation, and they uh, had Louisville beat them by 43. And, uh, yeah, they had guys quitting. And Louisville could have probably scored 100 if they wanted to. Florida State showed just absolutely no fight. 
at all. Um, guys acting like they didn't care. Uh, another familiar theme, guys posting on Instagram very soon after, you know, hey, maybe this team his team is down, but but I, you know, I'm still awesome, basically all that kind of stuff. Uh, me, me, me. The reason why I had this standing out against all the other ones is, is just the ranking that Florida State had and the actual ex- expectations. All the other ones for me, uh, and then I would go, I think 2018 Clemson as my number two because it was at home. Then probably 2006 Wake and then 2017 B.C. Uh, because of the fact that we we knew that 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 this you know this regime was over when, when the team quit on Jimbo there at, at BC, I, I think we did at least. That that would be my ranking. I'd maybe switch the 06 weight game and, and this Clemson game. But how about you? The 06 weight game to me is always uh, you know has has its uh, has its poison certainly, but also has its sugar in the fact that you know that. Uh, like you, you had to hit rock bottom. You had to have something like that to uh, begin the process of change. And there was nobody that watched or uh, attended that game and, and didn't know that the you know status quo was no longer going to carry the day. Thing things were were going to have to change. So the weight game, I always uh, remember how painful it was, but also have some you know small degree of fondness associated with. I mean, look, I, I would rank this game uh, above Louisville. I would rank it as, as the toughest of the four. Uh, Louisville, yes, Florida State was ranked number two. That was also the number two ranked team that didn't have Derwin James. It was the number two ranked team that had Josh Sweat, at least in, he thought he had blown his knee up on what, either the last or second to last play of the practice before they left. It was a team that was depleted. It was a team that was distracted, um, and you were playing – one of the better better individuals in college football over the past 10 years or so. The third quarter in the Louisville game was the most humiliating thing. Uh, you're right, Louisville could have scored, legitimately could have scored 80, and, uh, or let me rephrase that, definitely could have scored 80 uh, if they chose to, and, and perhaps could have scored 100 if they really wanted to, uh, like John Heisman, Georgia Tech, Cumberland College at but the the Clemson game here was particularly hard to stomach because of the score line, because of what you saw happen, because it was home, uh, but also because you thought that you know you had rid yourself of of some of the things that you saw on Saturday, and and the Wake Forest game was Wake Forest and that talent, and you always have to remind that. But you saw some real good things about perseverance and staying together and fighting back. Uh, that that maybe you you had a little bit of a false idea as to some of the off the field uh, issues and, and progress that had been made. So uh, this one was a real tough pill to swallow and it'll be something that will be remembered for a while. Yeah, man, absolutely. I, I think it, it leaves a lot of the bad taste in a lot of people's mouth. Um, one thing I do think that will uh, likely not wash the taste out, but, but it, it'll lessen it a little bit is if they didn't already, people are, are about to realize just how good this Clemson team is. And that, that, like, before I thought this season's over, nobody can beat Alabama. And if they were playing on a neutral field, I would still take Alabama. But, man, I got to tell you, that Clemson team is, is, is some next-level good. I mean, that, that – I've seen all these Clemson teams up, up close and personal. I, I saw the one that won the national title. I, I don't think they were better than this one. Mm-hmm. 
they're next level good, and they're next level good getting to play 73 kids a game. Uh, and I don't only point that out because that normally means you're beating the hell out of people. It also means you're you're not putting a lot of reps on a lot of those exceptionally talented kids that we talk about all the time. Uh, obviously, freak injuries can occur at any time, uh, but on the whole, that is a team that appears to be able to coast through its season, protect its best players, and uh, yeah, they are they are trending in a really positive direction. And not that we need to uh, throw any more positives to what uh, Dabo and company have done up there, but Clemson is just kind of reminded everybody as to where they they sit in the the pinnacle of college football right now absolutely uh so with that we should probably thank our second sponsor of the night before we get into a little talk about some culture uh and that would be for the table restaurant group madison social township and central had a great chance to go over to township on saturday morning before the game and man what what an awesome weekend it was obviously the game was terrible and and nobody i don't think anybody really uh you know, expected a win. You know, I, I had a couple of my listeners, you know, they said, hey, hey, bud, what's going on? We, we, we chatted for a bit. Where's Ingram? And I was like, he didn't make this one, but maybe he'll be down there for the Florida game. Awesome time down at Township. Uh, great, great beer specials to kick the day off. And uh, I had some work to do in the press box, so I didn't have any. But uh, if you're a fan, I hope you got some before, before witnessing that. And uh, But re- really some great food at Township as well. Mad so. Packed out, as always, and, and, and the brunch on Sunday was, again, great. So very excited to see that um, and, and just very happy for those guys that, that their business keeps rolling there right in College Town uh, in, in the shadow of Doe Campbell. So awesome, awesome time meeting up with them. And uh, we saw some of those Punning is Bunning t-shirts as well there. Great sponsor, great people, and uh, just a, an entire organization that we're fortunate to be able to to work with. And one of the reasons that we are uh, such big fans of Madison Social is kind of the the culture surrounding the operation and uh, the buy in that they have throughout. And it's uh, it's a great thing to see. And it's obvious as they've been able to to grow and continue to have success. And we're never going to compare, uh, you know, a, a business organization to a football team. But I, I think there's a decent level of uh, operation or co- operational uh, culture and, and the function of an organization that we can sit and, and talk about where Florida State's program is right now. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that, that Taggart came out and, and brought this up in the postgame. He, he brought up the idea that, that the team quit. And this was a very stark contrast to someone uh, last year who insisted that his team did not quit. You know, down down thirty five three at Boston College, and uh, it felt real. You know what I mean? It felt like, hey, this is a guy who's acknowledging the problems his team has and is willing to talk about some solutions to fix it, as opposed to, you know, hey, no, we didn't quit. We just made some execution errors. Really? Okay. It seems like like those those fixes started on Sunday. Taggart met with the team. He also met with some individuals. Some punishments were handled uh, in-house, as he said today, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But one punishment that Ingram that we do know about is, uh, is the punishment to Nooney Murray and Zaquandre White. And uh, both those guys were ejected for throwing punches. Mo- uh, Murray was actually on the field. Zaquandre was not. Uh, and Taggart yelled at him immediately, I think before a flag was even thrown on the sidelines, to uh, get... Uh, uh, get off my field, 
is is that 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 was the I don't think those were the words that were said, but I think that was basically the the message that was sent according to uh, according to some of the photogs down there who were lip reading. Um, it might have been a little bit more intense than that, and so they they've been suspended for a uh, for a half against NC State. And uh, I don't know, man. What what are your thoughts about that? Do you, do you think that's enough? Do you think that's appropriate? I I kind of have some some mixed thoughts on that. I would certainly have no problem with suspended people a game for that. I mean, um, Nyquan Murray, it's nothing surprises me with what Nooney does uh, for the good or the bad. I mean, I forget who posed this on Twitter a couple weeks ago, and um, if I remembered, I promise I'd cite your name. I'm not trying to steal your content, but uh, Nooney taking it to the house against Louisville. Yep, that's what Nooney does. Nooney slowing the offense down because he's busy flexing against Wake Forest. Yeah, that's what Nooney does. Uh, Nooney throwing a punch because he felt like it. Yeah, that's that's what Nooney does. Uh, he's a he's a talented individual, but he's a, not somebody that you can count on and, and not uh, anything that really can surprise me at this point. So I don't know how much he'll be involved moving forward. There's certainly a lot of uh, younger kids there that would benefit by seeing snaps and, and seeing balls thrown their way and seeing some seasoning. And uh, I I suspect that Nooney, uh, you know, I'm not going to say you'll never see eight again, but uh, I would be surprised if maybe his involvement wasn't downshifted pretty considerably. Do you think he's one of the kids who fooled the coaching staff? Because I do. I, I, I remember when, like, we knew he was a problem guy before. For the old staff, remember when Taggart said, "You know, we don't have a lot of turds here." I, I wonder if some of these guys either a fooled the coaching staff, or b if they, maybe they did start to act right because everybody got a clean slate. But then once adversity hit, they started to show their true colors again. I think I think part of a clean slate is giving kids the benefit of the doubt and and probably wanting to believe, uh, wanting to to believe that kids have bought into your message and uh yeah i think you know it wouldn't surprise me if uh actually I'd, i'm not trying to be mr insider here but it, I, I know for sure that this coach has had or that the staff has had um significant moments of frustration with nooney once the season really got going and, and some more challenging points uh reared their head so uh nooney's just gonna be a handful for whoever he you know for whoever is uh is his coach or position coach head coach offense coordinator anything else and uh a talented guy but not like uniquely talented that he can get away with it at this level and, and certainly not uniquely talented to where he's a a different type of athlete when you when you look at guys that play on sunday right i completely agree with that um with Saquandre, i so, I would have given Zaquandre a full game, all right, and I probably would have given Nuni a full game as well. And and I think you got to be careful in, in how and why you do it, because you don't want to set the precedent that hey, if you throw a punch, you're going to miss a full game or half, right? That's not a good precedent to set. Bama just gave a kid half a game for pretty maliciously cheap shotting a guy with a punch who was already down, uh, Raquan Davis. That's also the kid, by the way, who got shot and then blocked the field goal against uh, against Florida State last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he had he had the uh, the Gino Tays reaction that is uh, ever so legendary. <laughs> yeah. Now look, 
but I think the reason why it's okay to uh, to give a full game to both guys, and probably why I would have, is because they both had prior incidents, right? So you say, hey, I want to let you guys know this is not an automatic thing. If you throw a punch, you get a game. Maybe it should be, but it's not. However, your behavior is indicative of continued patterns of lack of discipline and lack of composure, especially Zerquandre, who threw a punch on the sideline, not even in the game. That's not okay. I would have given him a game, I think. But I also, I feel like we don't know what the totality of all the punishments is going to be um, for, for, for this game. Because, look, Taggart said, if you quit, you won't play. And there are some guys who we think quit, and there are some guys who, who their teammates think quit, by the way. There are also some guys who, who I, I know guys on Clemson think quit, and we're making fun of them for it. They, they, don't, think, they don't think DeAndre's really injured. They, they kind of think he just checked out and that the hit he took that, that, that took him out of the game wasn't, uh, wasn't real serious. I, I'm not commenting on that, but that's, that's the word I got from the Clemson locker room. So just that's interesting. Do you do you remember? I don't mean to sidetrack. Do you remember if we uh, suspended Cam Irving for the Oklahoma event? Did he sit a game? Well, I look. I, I think Cam Irving was redshirting, but look, certainly Irving cheap shotting that guy on the sideline against Oklahoma late in the game was was very bad. But that's a great. I had I had forgotten about that, and I'm really glad you brought that up because that, that's an interesting corollary there of both the last two coaches having to deal with something like that. Um, early in their tenures. Now, here's the question. though: I I have a hard time figuring out if these punishments are going to be enough. Certainly, Taggart and his staff has been more of a disciplinarian so far in terms of spending guys, like not even stuff that's necessarily public, but stuff we know about, like guys sitting out in the spring game because they skipped classes and whatnot. And they've been much harder on the guys going to class and, and all that kind of stuff. They have made legitimate cultural improvements, but you know, there, there are still guys who, who probably need to sit. Do you agree with his decision to not announce who's going to be sitting on Saturday for, for quitting? Yeah, I don't think you can. I, I, I don't think you can do that. I, I think one, there's not anything that's good going to come of that, really. I mean, you may be throwing some small piece of red meat to the most like rabid part of the fan base, or you may satiate some some part of it uh i don't know that it's worth doing i I think you uh you don't have to embarrass kids you you know look things things work themselves out and people uh learn their lessons they don't necessarily have to be publicly humiliated for it uh the eye in the sky certainly has a has a pretty good uh pretty significant batting average when it comes to telling the truth as to who who gave effort and kids in the locker room can figure that out. Coaches can figure that out. And people who, uh, who make player evaluations for Sundays can figure that out. Uh, you don't necessarily have to throw that out to the media. I agree. And you also don't want to punish the guys you are going to play in the game, uh, by giving the opponent an advantage by telling them, Hey, this guy's not going to play. This guy's not going to play. It's, it's certainly going to help you in game planning. You know, if you know that, like, I don't know, your senior corner, or maybe both of them, are not going to play because they gave poor effort or maybe faked an injury. Who knows? I, there are certainly some guys around the program who maybe think that uh, maybe that pull-up after Levante Taylor got beat uh, was was maybe a little bit less than real. Now, look, 
I don't know that. And I do know that Taylor was on the sideline in the injury tent a couple series before that. So I can't sit here and tell you that after he got burned, you know, that 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 he wasn't actually injured. He very well could be. I'm not going to be that guy that, that calls that out. But I do think that if... If that's not real, that 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 faking, if 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 he was faking, can't have that. Need need to see a lot more Asante Samuel going forward. Two things that are very true surrounding this situation. One, uh, Levante Taylor has had a exceptionally disappointing year, and there's no other way to paint it. Uh, it's just been and the he case. wasn't that good last year, and we got a bunch of crap for saying that because he was protected by his field corner responsibility. Yeah, yeah, and, and he guys he didn't got over evaluated in the summer. He was never a first round type ever. The second thing that's true is that he's also missed snaps the past couple of games for injury related stuff. So. Uh, I, I am skeptical as well, but I join you in saying that that's not something that we know for sure. And we do know that uh, there have been series that have taken place over the past three games, two games, uh, where Levante Taylor, if he was otherwise available, would have been in the game and he wasn't. Exactly. So I, I think that that's, that's just something to keep in mind. Um, certainly some guys on defense not hustling. I think most of the guys who... If, if Taggart follows through on his on his promise that they won't play any better, because if he doesn't, that doesn't send a very good message to the locker room. And I think it needs to be more than just Nooney and, and Zaquandre White. Um, but if he's serious about it, I think most of the guys you'll see will be on defense. There are also some guys, by the way, who kept going hard the whole game, at least until they got hurt. I thought Dontavious played hard. I thought Marvin Wilson played really hard. Brian Burns kept playing. I think Janarius played hard. You know, I didn't see a whole lot of quit on the offensive line. Maybe Mike Arnold, you know, lack of effort at times. But, uh, man, overall, I, I think that's uh, – it's mostly guys on defense who are getting embarrassed. The offense is kind of used to getting embarrassed this year. Gabe Neighbors, he didn't quit. He wanted to let everybody yep, know yeah, he yeah. had achieved a first down, down 42 points or whatever Florida State was at the time. So Now, look, they haven't had any blowouts this year, so a lot of these guys haven't got to play. I mean, I, I, I have a hard time faulting some of these dudes for getting excited. No, I don't. I don't. I just I had had to have a laugh at that point in the game where you're down, I think, 42 points at that point, and you've got kids that are doing the first down signal. But uh, Neighbors has become more and more involved over the past couple of games, and interesting to see if that's a uh, if he hasn't kind of worked himself, found a role uh, in an offense that leading into this year we we weren't sure even existed. So. Good for that kid from that standpoint. Exactly. And, you know, look, there's a difference between being too focused on me and and, and being, you know, a guy who's excited because you did something good. I've heard there's a a starter out there, and I haven't seen this, and nobody can give me a screenshot of it, so I'm not going to say the kid's name. If I did have the screenshot, I would just go ahead and say it. But I heard, you know, the, the kid's like, you know, it's all right, we've been losing, but on to bigger and better things on his Instagram, basically like implying like, hey, in a couple games here, I'll, I'll be you know leaving early for the NFL, which eh, <laughs> I don't know, man. We'll, we'll see. I mean, NFL, yeah, first round riches, probably not. So just interesting to watch that. But th- there are some guys who are cancers, and I don't like using the word cancer in, in that way, but like in the limited scope of using the word like that, uh, cancers to the team. And they were given their shot with, with, with the clean slate that Taggart laid down. And uh, they've, their behavior has reverted. 
to what it was allowed to be under Jimbo's program the last couple of years, which was really crumbling. And uh, and you got to nip that in the bud because you cannot allow that this promising 2018 class that you just signed, probably a lot more promising than any of us thought it could be, to see that as acceptable. This is year one. You have to lay down the law on that stuff when you see it. They laid down the law in a lot of other areas. This is an area where you have to lay down the law now that you've spotted it. And I think you got to come down kind of hard on these guys. I, I, I think that you need to you need to play, you know, AJ Lighton and Asante Samuel a lot more over Kyle Myers and Levante Taylor, even if they're not necessarily better players right now, because I think you got some poor effort from some of those corners in the game. I don't know that that Fagan gave great effort in the game. I mean, this is something that just me watching. I don't have the all twenty two coaches copy, so they may disagree with me on some of this stuff. But uh, you know, or they might just say hey, that was just poor technique. It wasn't actually poor effort. All right, we'll see. But. I think there's some guys out there who probably don't need to be playing quite as much. And you do need to focus on the guys who consistently gave poor effort as opposed to just, hey, if you gave poor effort at any time, you got to sit. Because, look, some guys are going to be discouraged. If you're discouraged for a couple plays, I can't necessarily sit you because eventually you're going to run out of players. You know what I mean? Most of these guys aren't used to losing 59 to 10. But we have seen that these upperclassmen are poor leaders, a lot of them at least, and, and they're and they will quit on you with a quickness. They quit at Louisville. They quit at Boston College. And some of the same damn guys are quitting now. And, and I'm interviewing Brian Burns after the game. You know, and I asked him, I said, Ed, how much does it bother you that, that, uh, that you know, some of these guys that, that, that you saw quit out there, they quit last year against BC and, and you know, the year before against Louisville. It's the same guys, the upperclassmen. He's like, you know, it's always worse when it's upperclassmen. You know, we're, we're the guys supposed to be setting, setting the example. And look, I love Brian Burns, and, and I think he is a, a, a good leader. But, man, he's got four games left here before he's off to the NFL. He's busted his butt. He's had a really good year. He's going to get drafted fairly highly. What, what what can he really do? You know what I mean? Can he Can he go to some of these other guys? who came in in his recruiting class and, and who consistently act like dumbasses and say, hey, you need to shape up? I, maybe, man, I think a lot of it is the, the guys who are actually going to be here next year are the ones who need to take ownership. I don't really need Brian Burns to be the enforcer there in the locker room unless you really think he's coming back next year, and I don't. I don't really need Francois to do it unless you think he's coming back next year, and I highly doubt that because he doesn't fit the offense. And he never really looks happy when he's out there. You know, I I, I need to see it from guys that are like, like Marvin Wilson becoming more vocal is good. You know what I mean? That guy's going to be here next year. And I think he cares deeply about the program. You know, you want to see it from Cam, assuming he's here next year. You know, maybe just just some guys who, who will be around more. that uh, They need to kind of step up. And it's hard to call out guys who are older than you. If you've been in the locker room, you know. But – but I heard there was some call-outs going on and some guys who, who weren't cool with this anymore. And hopefully, you know, may, maybe coaches actually help to, to, uh, to instigate that, light that fire a little bit. I, I, I hope so. Hearing about call-outs is interesting and it's, um, you know, it's all built around uh, accountability and acknowledging to people that they didn't either perform to a level that was expected or the level to which you instructed them um and i'm fine with that and i hope that to an extent that exists within the program i also hope that the you know look we we can be very critical of the culture that exists here and we can be critical of some of the pieces 
uh, that maybe stand out as, as more challenging elements uh, to kind of recreating um, a broader idea of, of effort and focus that exists throughout the, the program and uh, throughout all aspects of, uh, of game day. But also think the coaching staff has to has to have some real moments of accountability here. A Saturday, you know, proved uh, you don't want to make too much of it, uh, but you do have to acknowledge that at some level your message failed to land, at least with some aspect of of the team. And I also think that you have to look. I, I you know grew up around sports, and in high school, sports was my thing, and my friends were really involved in sports. And as such, at this point, a lot of my friends have chosen to to go into coaching or. Uh, other elements of the business and I've got friends of mine that coach in the smallest levels of college ball and I have friends that uh, at this point are fortunate to collect paychecks from from NFL teams I don't go about calling for coaches heads easily or very frequently but uh, mm, I would love an explanation as to what we've been doing on special teams throughout the year Uh, I I think there's some real accountability that has to exist uh, with some of the decisions that that were made about the composition of the staff and and some questions that have to be asked as to if this is the this is the crew that you're really going to roll with. Yeah, man. Look, I, I definitely think that there's going to be some hard questions asked about the special teams, about, about some of the tactics they're using, about their repeated penalties that they're getting. You know, I understand some of the new penalties on offense because all the new formations you're running and the tempo which you're trying to run it is very different. Um, I'm disappointed to see them still in week eight, but again. Your whole team was kind of losing composure there on Saturday, and you hadn't seen nearly as many of them in the past couple of weeks prior to that. So I do believe that there was some learning there, a little bit of backsliding with the, loss, with the lack of composure. But, you know, there there's a strategy question here with the, the taking the kickoffs out of the end zone, you know, and the hindsight is very clear that they should not have taken kicks out of the end zone because they, they're getting stuck in their own end zone or in, in, in their own end very deep and it'd be much better just just to take the ball at the 25 now there is some hindsight bias element to that clearly this offense sucks and it's not any good because it doesn't have any offensive tackles it has a bunch of guards trying to play tackle they can't block anybody the quarterbacks get hit routinely and they don't open any holes in a run game and the quarterback doesn't uh doesn't i don't think deandre wants to run the ball and keep the ball he doesn't appear to be making the right read very often so you know, but knowing that, do you think that they are purposefully allowing the kids to take the ball out of the end zone, with the exception of the the uh, the one where where Harrison needs to get in front of Grant and instead he kind of stands to the side and you know trying to tell him not to take it out, he needs to be a little more forceful, a little more demonstrative in doing so, and that's a new role for him because usually it's Rasul in there, which I get, but do you think that they're allowing these guys to take the ball out of the end zone? Because they feel that even though the the fuel position uh, could be very poor, that the reward for taking the ball out, potentially a great return, is so worth it because of the fact your offense is is so sorry. Very few sustained drives are going to be had by this offense. Something we've talked about all year, particularly against the type of units that you're going to find in the back half of the schedule when you look at other teams' defense. I get that. It's just the frequency – of which uh, I think I mean I'm, I haven't verified these stats, but I think that we're averaging twenty four uh, a penalty on twenty four percent of the plays that we choose to bring the ball out of the end zone. <clears throat> okay, um, we're having a bird timeouts before 
special teams plays that you you know those don't necessarily creep up on you in game. Uh, there's just things that have happened throughout the entirety of the year. When you and I sat there and did our first instant reaction podcast at three forty two in the morning or whatever it was after that Virginia Tech game, we spent fifteen minutes talking about hey it's early and we're not sure about this, but not a whole lot of what we saw last night or, or earlier uh, in the morning really made sense when we when we looked at what our special teams unit was doing. And, and that conversation hasn't really evolved throughout the case of the year. So the unit as a whole, I have some real questions of, and, and I uh, am critical of the idea of uh, how much we bring the ball out and how few times that's a, a justified thing. But I can at least see a, a rationalization of that, that you have the ball in the hands of one of your better athletes and uh, hey, maybe he's more likely to do something than a than an offense that's otherwise significantly limited. I completely agree with that. And and look, next year, assuming the offense is going to be better, and I think it will be considerably better, just based on a few things that, that I believe will happen. I think that they should use this data, and they should say, hey, we've identified an inefficiency in our game last year. Ding ding ding. And we're going to take a knee a lot more often and start at the 25, so we stop losing so much field position. I also believe that, look, you want to hold players accountable, but you also want to hold coaches accountable. And I'm not a guy who believes you have a huge staff shakeup after year one, but if things don't improve on special teams dramatically in the last four games, I think I would probably make a change with, with Coach Hampton and special teams. Bring in somebody else, see if you can get a fresh set of eyes on this thing, because that has been a disaster. Their special teams unit is... It's not worse than the offense, but relative to the talent level available, like there's nothing crippling the special teams like the offensive line cripples the offense. Does that make sense? But like, it's so much more disappointing. Absolutely. And it's not a 180 degree turnover as far as idea of what you're doing or kids haven't spent two years being ingrained. I mean, special teams, certainly there's some other wrinkles involved and there's some complexities that exist. Uh, but special teams is special teams. It's, it's not like you're asking people to operate at a whole different level than the what they've done the previous two or three years so special teams by far is the most maddening thing that we've seen from this team and far too frequently uh it comes down to issues that um when 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 the conversation of accountability comes up uh, i'm far more likely to to point the finger at the coaching staff rather than kids yeah absolutely so and i think it helps to show players too like look we're not just talking about y'all we hold ourselves accountable here and we had to make a change because the special teams last year was so far below the standard of acceptable you know, play that, uh, that we had to make a change. So I'll be watching that, that carefully. I, I, I and look, you guys know I'm not real reactionary, right? I think Taggart's going to get four years. I do. We, we, we just, well, well, we'll talk about that in a little bit, but, but there was just a pretty significant thing that indicated that, uh, you know, there's some powerful people who believe in him, so we'll have to see how that goes. He, there's no chance that he's hot seat next year, like none, unless they were to go like 0-12 or some kind of, you know, wild craziness, which is, you know, probably probably not going to happen. Uh, by the way, did you see uh, how Chip – did you see Chip Kelly's question or answer today to uh, the injury questions? I'm, I'm not otherwise familiar with this, no. He said, uh, I'm, not, I'm not really going to engage in hypotheticals because then – you know, like, look, what if, what if, you know, Dorian Thompson Robinson's their quarterback, a kid Florida State recruited, and he got hurt last game. He's like, what if Dorian was fine? 
but the rest of our team got bubonic plague, right? And they, that, I'd have to list them all as questionable, doubtful. Uh, and so that would be that'd be problematic. Um, and so just I'm not going to do these hypotheticals about injuries today. <laughs> it's like, oh my god, what if what if UCLA had bubonic plague and it was spreading, and the only way we could find out was Pac-12 network, which none of us in the United States get. Would go uh, the CDC would have no idea what was creeping up on them uh, as. As uh, yeah, you're right. I'm not sure anybody's yet to yet to tune into the Pac-12 network. Did I mention, by the way, that the uh, the, the closed door meeting or the uh, the the locker room post game was uh, was not open to recruits like it usually is? No, we haven't haven't gone into this, and this is uh, one of the few things that I specifically kind of planned to have tonight be a broad, open conversation to just let it go where it goes. But this is. Uh, one of the things specifically that uh, that I think we both wanted to touch on. Yeah, so th- this, uh, I-, I feel like this got pretty personal. Um, and I think it needed to. I think maybe you got a couple teammates calling other teammates who hopefully they're calling out, they're calling out teammates who they're boys with. And that, those are hard call-outs to make. That's something we, by the way, discussed with the quarterback. Like when your friends on the team, your best friends are the biggest troublemakers, that can be a problem if you don't hold them accountable. And, and so I don't know who called out who for sure, and so I'm not going to go into that. But, uh, yeah, it, it seems like that was something they did not want recruits to see. And so the recruits did not see it. They hung out in the players' lounge and played uh, played video games. And, uh, and then the, the coaching staff met with them afterwards. And we'll talk about recruiting here to end the show. But I think that was, uh, I think that was good. Uh, I'm glad that it was fiery enough in there to where you wouldn't want outsiders to see it. You want to talk about the Charlie Strong lesson? Yeah, so let's let's talk a little bit about uh, what you and I referred to as the, the Charlie Strong lesson from uh, from when you inherit a, a program and yeah, you're faced with a real idea as to like, exactly how, how deep do you want to make your cuts as far as trying to reshape the program immediately? Uh, it is a very... Thin, uh, it's a thin line that you have to walk uh, between trying to get rid of kids that you think are obstacles and also trying to maintain a roster that lets you compete at a level to where you don't have, uh, you know, the more influential figures in an institution start to start to look at you because the results on the field aren't what maybe they thought they'd be. Yeah, and that's that's an interesting lesson to, to learn from Charlie Strong's tenure. Cause when Charlie got, got to Texas and, and stop me if this sounds familiar here, but there was a culture that had gone unchecked for several years. Right. And, uh, and he was brought in to clean it up and rebuild the program. And he thought he had the backing of the administration and Texas is much different from Florida state, by the way. So I'm not trying to compare those things in terms of, of booster culture. It's, it's not, but, uh, Man, he really he, he he took a machete to that thing, and there there was no real scalpel. And like, if you're a bad dude, if you're a bad teammate, you were largely gone. And uh, and he thought he was doing the right thing, but ultimately it left him with a talent deficit. And it, it was a talent deficit that Texas really could not overcome uh, fast enough for Charlie to save his job. And and uh, and clearly, you know, when they realized they had the opportunity to go and get Tom Herman, they did it. And, uh, and, you know, look, Charlie cleaned up a lot of that culture in, at Texas, but couldn't win enough games. And uh, I think if you ask Charlie in a moment of truth, and, or maybe if you, if you got him in a, in a coaching clinic setting or some kind of 
kind of you know, meeting of, of coaches at an association or something like that, I think he'd probably tell you, hey, I, I, I cut too much talent off my roster because I was trying to get rid of all, of all the bad, bad apples. At Florida State, I think those coaches are very aware of the Charlie Strong lesson. You know, I, I think they think they know him. And, uh, and I think they've been trying to, to give the guys the most benefit of the doubt as they possibly could to, have, to avoid a Charlie Strong situation. And now I think they're having to kind of lean in a little bit more and say, all right, some of y'all aren't going to be here next year. You know, and if, if you are, you, you're not going to act like this. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to play at all. But I, I do, I do think that uh, that that they are very aware of of that. Cause that's a lesson that coaches know. They they look, you know, Charlie got his dream job, and uh, and ultimately lost it because he couldn't win enough games. And he did get rid of a lot of the bad kids on that roster. Everybody, you know, has people in uh, in their particular industry that you talk with, you try to learn from. You you can see uh, people that walked a similar road to you as far as being able to take control of a program and and you try to learn from it accordingly and it it wouldn't shock me if uh if this was an idea that uh, was in the back of of various members of this staff and it's uh you know there's no there's no like how to guidebook uh, as to how to do this you you try to take from your own personal experience you try to take from those that are in uh, similar positions and you know maybe in in retrospect this this uh, coaching staff would have been a little bit quicker to to use kind of the cleaver uh, when it comes to cleaning up the roster, but that comes with its own inherent set of risk. And you know, you've already seen a uh, concentrated injuries and a, a roster that was one thing in in August become a a whole nother thing even two weeks into September. So it's a it's a real delicate balance, and I can certainly see where people have have some real hesitancies about uh, trimming too quick. Absolutely, man. Um, here's a question for you. Would you go youth movement? Because I know we talked about this before, and, and I've always been kind of the mindset that don't go youth movement while the bowl streak still has a reasonable chance. So I guess this is multifaceted. W- would you go youth movement now, like hardcore? And, uh, and and I guess what do you think their bowl chances are? Yeah, so I've, I've been hesitant to, to go full youth movement at this point where maybe you were – more open to it earlier in the year and and maybe the maybe our positions have kind of changed at this point i would i would start to dramatically go that way and there's um so i can say this now how how like if i'm if this is really true uh i'm not sure i'll be able to tell but i I am more pessimistic about florida state's bowl opportunities after this weekend and i don't think that it has much to do with what happened in tallahassee I, i just think the remaining roster of teams that you face are really bad matchups for you. Uh, and I've been more impressed with them as I've been able to see uh, more of the teams. And, and I, you know, at this point I would be, and I think the fan base has become more accepting of the idea that a, a bowl game is probably not out there. I, I think that's, that's entirely fair. Looking at the probabilities, whatnot, I think you probably got about a, I don't know, Somewhere between a thirty and a thirty-five percent chance of, of of making a bowl right now, and you got to win two of your final four games. You know, if you give yourself like a thirty-five percent shot at 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 uh, at NC State, maybe a five percent shot at Notre Dame. Notre Dame is really good, by the way. I, I totally agree with you. 
maybe a 50% shot in Doak of beating Boston College and maybe like a 40% shot in Doak of, of beating Florida, that's kind of how you arrive at, at that 30, 35% mark, you know, give or take. But if you lose NC State, that that drops dramatically because then you got to win two of the final three, and, uh, and 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 I don't I don't like your chances on that much I at think all. You, I think you'll know after this weekend. Yeah, I really do. Uh, if, if you, you lose win NC State, full on youth movement. I'm there. I, I don't think you can win two of the final three if you end up losing this one, especially if you lose it badly. You know, and I'm not saying like that means bench guys who are playing hard and are are great seniors. You know what I mean? But what if you bench Nooney Murray on senior day at, at home? That'd send a hell of a message, wouldn't it? Uh, hey, you act like this? Here, here, here's the kind of recognition you get, right? You know, what, what, what happens if you bench some of these other guys who, who think they're all world? Now, look, Brian Burns, not going to bench that guy. You know, some of the other seniors, DeMarcus Christmas, who plays hard and plays well, not going to bench him. But there's a couple guys, it's like, man, if you're marginal – if you're not giving great effort, if you're not really bought in at, by this point in the year, let's let's play somebody who's going to help us out when it actually comes time to do some winning. We, and we've talked about this all year, that maybe the first place you'd see this is the wide receiver core. You need to throw 88 the ball as much as possible. Eight, eight doesn't need to be getting the balls that could otherwise be thrown to 88. Now, I'm not saying they necessarily line up in the exact same places, but just from a broader uh, offensive philosophy. Eight is eight. He's run his course. Uh, you've gotten some nice moments from him. You've also gotten some moments of madness. Uh, the future is is with 88, and I would love to see that kid featured as prominently as possible moving forward. And uh, how about 12? It's an interesting question, man. Um, so, there, you know, there's... There have been some rumblings that... That, uh, you know, maybe the quarterback position was slightly more up for evaluation than that people realized over the past week or two. Um, and those could those could be absolute nonsense. But I, I think that um, there are some signs that maybe that that is far more open than it's ever been. And it, it wouldn't shock me to see Blackman uh, at least have some like some scheduled series come Saturday if, if he's not your outright starter. Yeah, I think he needs to play. Um, now, look, he can only play two more games to preserve his redshirt because he's already played against uh, against what? He's played against Clemson and he played against. He got us. He got some in Wake. Oh no! But he also played a snap in Miami, so he only, he only has one more game before he could lose his redshirt. I, I think I don't know that that matters. Yeah, I think with James, you 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 say you've got two years left. We'll do everything we can with you. It's uh, I don't know that James is a is a somebody that you'd be looking to play in his red shirt senior year as is. I, I think I agree with you on that, you know, and, uh, and I think James has more respect from his teammates than Deandre does, or at least a lot of them. Uh, that's an absolute cert. Well, I shouldn't say I'm not, not on the team, but there, there's a, an awful lot of information that would make you believe that I'll, I'll put it that way. And we've already said some guys on the team question as to whether some of these, you know, question as to whether, whether 12 tapped out. I'm not saying it, but I do know there are guys on the team who. who, who and and there were questions as to whether or not this whole. But like, he does take care- a ton of shots, and he is very tough. I absolutely given 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 DeAndre that. He He's tough as hell. Ton Nobody's of shots. ever questioned DeAndre's toughness. A lot of them that he probably shouldn't take, but you know, 
uh, that offensive line is terrible. So, yeah, that's a uh, little small thing, but you, you make anything of, of Blackman being the one of the player guests on Willie Taggart's radio show tonight? I mean, that is exceptionally kind of esoteric when it comes to looking at things, but uh, hey, we're a Florida State football podcast, and that's all we do year-round. We can, we can jump into small little things from time to time. Yeah, uh, I think there could be something to that. I guess we'll just have to see. You know what? You know, one thing I do know, man, there's a lot of stuff we don't know, obviously. I know Resolution Home Loans is the place to go for your home loan. It's a great no-loan business. Chad and Shannon are going to get you hooked up with a great home loan with their almost home program. They, they want to make sure that you're pre-qualified so you know when you walk in, into that house to see it. You think, all right, I like this place. It needs 30000 in reno, and, uh, and I want, want to get it at this. I can offer this. I can offer that today because I, because Resolution Home Loans has already hooked me up with, with my pre-qualified status. So give them a call, 844-FSU-LOAN, or visit fsuhomeloans.com. That's 844-FSU-LOAN, or visit fsuhomeloans.com. And uh, for those of you listening on the radio, this is the end of our show with Fox Sports Radio, Southwest Florida. For those listening on the podcast version, and if you're on the radio, we, we do encourage you to please look us up and, and hit us up. Uh, we'll have a little recruiting discussion. So find us on iTunes or Google Podcast and, and hear the final final section of the show online. But, you know, uh, two people that uh, Chad and Shannon would probably be able to pre-qualify for a home purchase pretty easily. Uh, is that because they're, they're – they're... oh, yeah, I do, actually. I, I know uh... – Maybe, maybe Alan Judy Dunlap. I think I think Alan Judy Dunlap could get uh, could get qualified with a quickness. Absolutely. Yeah, they. they uh, you know, we, we. I wasn't sure like when we should discuss this, but uh, you know, obviously we've known about it for a while. The media was embargoed in, in exchange for interviewing them. The media was embargoed from from going with the story. But uh, um, Al Dunlap, Florida State's biggest booster, whose name is on you know, almost all the buildings, obviously. Uh, very successful, but very controversial career in business. Uh, I think it's probably the probably the right way to put that. You know, a lot of a lot of people admire the guy, and a lot of people hate him. So he was uh, he was pretty symbolic for the time in which he operated. He certainly yeah. wasn't the only person to uh, slash and burn companies and and uh, make themselves a whole lot of money in the process. So at, at least uh, you know he, he's certainly doing something good with his money now, uh, and that is donating it in in. Uh, in, in huge amounts to Florida State, and he just gave twenty million to uh, to, to be the lead gift uh, for the Unconquered campaign. He's the only guy to give forty million uh, total of uh, like living donations, so not, not including you know stuff in your will to, to kind of put that in the simplest way possible. And uh, that will go for you know all sorts of programs, but also uh, to help fund the football only facility, which is something that Florida State needs. And court, uh, I mean, you know, they certainly. Could have gone a better way about doing it uh, if the old guy who was here wasn't so uh, indecisive about what he wanted. But uh, that, that, that's a huge, huge like sign. And, and look, I, I thought that the uh, you know I, I checked around. They didn't save this announcement for the Clemson game because they thought they thought they were going to get crushed by Clemson. But damn, if it didn't work out that way, right? Like I, I tweeted out from the Tomahawk account. I said today today's our Florida State's already a winner regardless of what happens on the field here. That is a huge development for the program. It really is. $20 million is a massive chunk of change, and uh, it doesn't 
it's not a panacea for for some of the financial challenges that Florida State faces. It doesn't mean that doesn't mean that all their athletic scholarships are in doubt now, or some of the other things that Florida State would probably like to address in the next uh, five to ten years. But it's uh, it helps. It helps a lot when you look at your biggest competitors and what they take away from uh, the TV contracts of their specific you know conference al- alignment or affiliation. Florida State is a school that has to uh, try to collect every dollar and has to try to make the most out of every dollar. And uh, getting somebody to to give you a twenty million dollar gift is uh, is a massive thing that shouldn't be overlooked and shouldn't be lost in uh, in a in otherwise very disappointing performance from Saturday. Absolutely, and look, I, I think it could also encourage other boosters to give, which they're going to need. And this is also a donation that that is related to the coach in that. The Dunlaps obviously took a big time liking to Willie Taggart, uh, and and you know upon meeting with him, he was just extremely excited, obviously. But uh, it also stays with the school, so I people are like, well, after seeing that performance Saturday, there's no way, right? <laughs> no, other people will donate for sure. They love they love their school, and they want to make sure that that their school has has good uh, you know good good facilities to compete with, whether or not the the head coach four years from now is Taggart or or someone else. So, Bud, have have we learned from this that uh, that perhaps like Joe Fan doesn't do a very good job of extrapolating the thoughts of exceptionally wealthy eighty year olds or exceptionally talented uh, seventeen to eighteen year old athletes that may be making a, a college decision? Yeah. So here's what I know, right? If you misspell the head coach's name in in a tweet you you send to me or an email you send to us, very high likelihood that what you're about to say is really stupid. Especially like, like like if it's not a typo, if, if like if you don't know how to spell the guy's name that you're ripping, probably bad. So, yeah, like when I talk about all these guys with you know twenty million tweets, or I usually say twenty thousand tweets or fifty thousand tweets and, and fifty thousand lesson donations. Maybe we should change it to twenty million tweets and twenty million lesson donations because that that uh, the game doesn't change, man. This is uh, is very interesting. So. Yeah, that, that's that's big for the program. We also probably t- should talk a little bit of recruiting, by the way. Uh, Florida State had a bunch of good recruits there. Uh, as we reported, Evan Neal showed up. Uh, so did uh, his IMG teammate, Trey Sanders. I don't think Florida State has a snowball's chance in hell of signing Trey Sanders. So, you know, good luck with that one. But uh, but Evan Neal, Evan Neal was the best offensive tackle on Florida State's side on Saturday. Seriously, like if he could have suited up pregame, he would have been their best offensive tackle on the field. He would send Derek Kelly or Brady Scott to the bench immediately. Period. I mean, like, he, he's good. Florida State doesn't have any real tackles right now. That's kind of the deal. That's scary, and it says a lot about where the program is, but it was good you got him on campus again. You know, going to get him in for an official most likely. Again, I think you trail Alabama and maybe Miami now, but we'll see what happens with Miami because – Apparently, Miami fans are now wanting to fire Mark Rick, which is crazy because they think their program is a lot better than it is, or, or, or you know, should be a lot better than it is. Uh, but uh, but getting him on campus was big. Kavaris Crouch, the, the big-time linebacker from North Carolina, who I think will go to Clemson, was on campus. Uh, George Pickens, Auburn commit at receiver, showed up as well, so very cool there. Uh, and uh, so did Sam Howell. His game got canceled in North Carolina, so he was able to come down. And uh, absolutely beautiful weather on the day. 
you know, I think Florida State, from from just talking to parents and, and high school coaches and whatnot, very prepared for the visits. Florida State did a good job. All the coaches read up on their on their notes on the kids. The, like like there was no, like from what I understand, there was no real big missteps, right? Like they were very prepared for the visits and had answers to the questions that the kids were going to ask. It seems like an extension of, of the good job they did recruiting over the summer. So uh, for all the bad things that happened during the game on Saturday, certainly, um, you know, that's, yeah, that, that, that was good to hear. Uh, I also heard that uh, from several people told me that, like, they were next to the recruits in the recruit section and the recruits were laughing when Florida State made mistakes. And I was laughing in the press box. And you know who else was laughing? Some of the NFL scouts behind me. So, like, I'm, I'm like, back when Tomahawk Nation was kind of persona non grata at, at Florida State, they put us, like, in the very far edge of the press box. So I'm right there down, uh, you know, near, like, like where the opposing um, media is almost and in the very back row, which I like because I can actually see the other TVs, which was great in, like, 2013, 2014 when Florida State would just blow teams out. I could watch some other games as well, you know, and, and not, like, not be totally uninformed about what was going on across the country. Uh, but right behind me are the NFL scouts. And I've gotten to know a couple of these guys a little bit because, you know, you sit up there, you chat. If you don't bug them and ask them a million questions, they, they tend to like that better. But you can you can joke around with them a little bit. And, uh, yeah, they were having a, a chuckle to what Florida State was doing. But, yeah, so were the recruits. Look, Taggart had a good comment. He said the, the recruits know what our weaknesses are. And they see that there's an immediate need to help us out. And that's going to have to be their pitch. Hey, our offensive line doesn't have good players. We need some guys who are good players to come in and play immediately. They saw that. Now, if I have one criticism, it's that I, I don't know that I would send the recruits out for the second half of that thing. Right? Like, I might just have them inside and set up a Red Dead, like Red Dead Redemption tournament, you know, or, or whatever video game the kids are playing these days inside the player's lounge. It was beautiful weather, so that that's kind of a positive there. I was also told that they were out early, by the way, in the stands, and, uh, and that Florida State did a great job of getting Janarius Robinson's spot on game day, you know, that Tom Rinaldi produced, and, uh, and that the recruits all saw that. And I tell you, who really liked that was the recruits' parents, right? Seeing that Florida State raised or Florida State fans raised over a hundred thousand dollars to help out Janarius Robinson and his family rebuild their home in Panama City, which was destroyed by the hurricane. So that was really good as well. You know, th- those were all good things. Florida State's coaches had a you know had a long talk with with the kids at, after the game, and they impressed upon them the need uh, for for look like some of these guys they really could start right now i mean like if they just skipped high school uh so that's you know, that's solid and ingram there's one more benefit right to having a noon to having a noon there, game there is a distinct benefit to a noon game there really is yeah that's uh man i gotta tell you i loved halloween in tallahassee halloween was incredible halloween was halloween and saint patty's day i think were, were by far the two best days of the year in tallahassee because it's like the weather is just turning you know it's, it's not quite summer yet on saint patty's day so it's real nice out you know halloween is, is like just starting to cool off a little bit and this saturday was no different no rain i mean like low 70s high 60s 
incredible costumes, right? And here's the thing. If you have a noon game, all right, from noon to four, you're kind of watching the game. Then Taggart talks to the team and talks to the media from about four to like 4.45, five-ish. Then you go, you talk to Coach Taggart, you talk to your coaches, you, 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 know, you, you ask questions, maybe you do a little stuff with the academic folks. If they're still around, you grab some dinner. Well, then what do you do? Then you get to have the real benefits of being a big-time recruit because you get to go out. And the stuff you get to see in Tallahassee on Halloween is one of the best recruiting nights you can possibly have. I cannot emphasize this enough that if you were really bummed that Florida State lost the game by seven touchdowns to Clemson, that like six hours later, you're going to totally forget that even happened. It is not a big deal. Florida State... Every time they have a game, a game on Halloween weekend at home, I don't care if they are hosting like the 1994 Dallas Cowboys <laughs> and they lose by 150 points. Doesn't matter. The benefits of having these kids in town on Halloween weekend absolutely outweighs it. We should also figure out a way to get kids in town on St. Patrick's Day weekend because that there's some serious debauchery going on uh, on that weekend as well. And that's uh, I can tell you that the kids had a really good time, and uh, that was. Not all is lost there. Well, certainly one of the one of the unique strengths that Florida State has is uh, is its uh, co-eds and some of the things that you're able to able to experience. And and one of the things that maybe tends to stick in kids' minds more than more than people would think. I've uh, you know grew, born and raised in Atlanta, and uh, University of Georgia was the school that I spent more of my time growing up. And then in college, had a disproportionate amount of friends that were from Alabama and are Alabama friends. And either when uh, Florida State plays Alabama or when I brought some Georgia friends of mine to a Florida State game, uh, every person to a whole uh, spends about 15 minutes hanging out. And then they kind of go off to the side with you when you go and get a beer or something like that. And they just tell you like, yeah, um, the co-eds that run around uh, and are fans of Florida State is just a different level of uh, – of experience, and those are two institutions that aren't, you know, lacking for uh, for a, a rather significant uh, student body themselves. So it's one of your strengths if you're able to bring it in on Halloween and maybe uh, show kids a, a better time than they would otherwise have. Then uh, that's that's something that you know maybe maybe helps you more than the general fan base would realize. It, it really it really can. And I'm not saying that's the only real pull of of uh, how, you know, having a recruiting weekend on Halloween weekend, but uh, it doesn't suck to have that. So that's uh, that's solid. By the way, uh, the, the students did eventually show up to the game. They, they were not there for like the first five, ten minutes of the game, but they were there pretty uh, pretty shortly thereafter. And they stayed until probably like at least five minutes uh, into the uh, third quarter. So a solid you know, 20, maybe a solid 30 minutes of action from the students. Yeah. Unfortunately, they missed the uh... – they missed the high water marks of the game, or, or a vast, or a large chunk of them did. But uh, yeah, couple couple nice defensive efforts there in the first quarter, and that was a uh, that was about all you could really write home about. No doubt. Uh, hey guys, five stars on iTunes. We need more of these. Keep giving us five stars on iTunes if you like the show. Uh, if you sent us a question, we did see it, and we. I mean, look, the show tonight was over an hour. We don't usually go over an hour, but uh, we just had so much content tonight. And uh, I felt like we needed to get to it all. And we, there was even some stuff we had to cut that was on our, our, our outline for the show. 
But we'll, we'll get to some more questions for you when we do our exciting NC State preview. And uh, we'll see if Florida State can get a win there. Very much five stars on iTunes. And uh, as a reminder, people have been having trouble with Google Play Music. If you are a Google Play Music person, we strongly suggest that you use Google Podcast instead of Google Play Music. It's a little bit better app, and uh, I like it better on my phone. I switched, and also the number one aspect that I like of it is that I actually get my podcast as opposed to not getting my podcast. We looked into the issue that people were, were asking us about, and what we've concluded is that it's not something that we can control. Other podcast providers are also going through problems with Google Play Music as opposed to Google Podcasts. So if you're an Android person, try out Google Podcasts and get us on there uh, as opposed to Google Play Music, which apparently something going on there. We're not sure. 